0: Welcome to the Willeridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. We are in our last week in our series, All Things New, and next week we are going to start a new series on 1 Corinthians. Now, I know this is crazy because we just had Christmas, but I will say this, all right? Where was I at? This is very important. Publix? Yeah, I think it was Publix. I walked into Publix. Now, like at the beginning of December, I saw Valentine's candy. But the Lord has shined his face on us, and we are blessed. Because in Publix right now, they are selling the Reese's peanut butter cup eggs. All right? That's right. Joanne, lead us all in a round of applause for that, right? So... Easter is coming all right soon and so our first Corinthians uh, Met series will take us almost all the way until our Easter uh, series will begin and so we're excited about that to kind of take each week on Sunday morning and walk through first Corinthians together as a church and for the most part we're gonna take it like chapter by chapter um, and so if you want to join us in the reading of that you can do so and so you can read first Corinthians chapter 1 this week and then that's where we'll begin next week but also uh, also, and, and something that's important for us and important for you, our small groups are going to be walking through this with us as well. And for the most part, all of our small groups are going to be starting back next week. There we go. I can see your face and I like to see your face. So also on the chairs around you is one of these cards. It's a little bit bigger than the other ones that are there. And it has all of our small groups that are that are listed for here for our church. And so all these groups going to be walking through this with us and want to encourage you to be a part of one of those groups. Now, what's exciting about this is we met with a with a group of people, uh, I think, at the end of November, the 1st of December, to talk about the new strategy moving forward. And so as you go through here and as you see names of groups that are meeting, there's some changes that are there. Uh, in the past, most of our groups uh, met on Sunday afternoons to so Sunday evenings, and now we have a wide variety of different times from Sunday morning, Sunday evening, even throughout the week for groups that you want to be a part of of. We've got groups that have been meeting and consistently meeting for years, and they're a part of this. And then we've got groups that are brand new, that have never met before. And so they're looking for those who haven't been connected to a group to be a part of that. And so let's just say, man, you're super extroverted, and you're like, man, I want to call these numbers, and I want to talk to these leaders and find out what's going on so that I can be a part of that group. Absolutely wonderful and fantastic. We want you to to do that. In fact, we encourage people, okay, take this and like go sample a group for a Sunday night and find out where, what they're about and what that dynamic is going to be like. And, and then try another one the next week. And, and you're not going to miss anything because we're all going through this same series together. And maybe you can find the group that God has for you. But let's say yeah, that you're, you're really uncomfortable with that and you're a little bit nervous about calling someone that you don't know and asking the details, well, that's fine too. Pastor Dave, his his name and his numbers on this card and part of what he does in his ministry is to help connect you into a group that that best suits you with where you're at. So call him and say, hey, I'm looking for a, a group of people uh, that, that, that fit kind of this dynamic of what I'm going through in life right now and I guarantee you there's a group for you. And, and for us at Willow Ridge Church, uh, and this seems maybe overly simplistic, but what this card represents for us is the heart of discipleship. Because it's so easy to come in here on a Sunday morning and, and just kind of gather and, and listen to me and, and to do that and then to go. But when men and women of faith can sit down in a room and dive into scripture and talk about what the Lord is doing and, and challenge each other and encourage each other and, and equip each other, right? Like that looks more like the, the, the church in the book of Acts than honestly this does, all right? And so maybe you've been here for years and you've never tried a small group. Maybe you've been here for, for five minutes and never tried one. We want to encourage you to be a part of a small group at Willow Ridge. Give it a try. We're excited to see what God is going to do. There's a ton of them on here. Guarantee it'll fit your time, fit your schedule, and fit the needs that, that you have. All right, so let's go ahead, go ahead and jump in. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter five is where we'll be this morning we've been going on in our series all things new and this is week three, so just kind of a little recap. Let's say you've been out on vacation. We want to kind of catch you up with what we're doing. So first week, we talk about God makes all things new. And what we looked at was the start of eternity and how God takes everything that was broken and and, and he brings it to, to newness. And so there's 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 a new sense of creation. There's a new relationship with him that, that every part of, of sin that we feel and that we experience in this world is gone but but what excites me the most within that it's not just the external things that we feel within that but it's the internal things that we feel right so not only do we no longer sin in eternity but we don't even have the desire to sin in eternity and so God makes all things new and then what we looked at last week is that God makes us new and we looked at in a relationship with the Lord, all things are new. In a gospel relationship with him, when we are saved, then all things become new in that, and we looked at Jesus and the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the dynamic of what happened there as he shared the newness of the hope of the gospel that for her was foreign, that he talked about worship and what it means to be in a relationship with him, free from the bounds and constraints of man-made religion and what he desires for us, and then the and then the the purpose. That he gave her, the life that he gave her, as he made all things new. So in areas of her life that were once associated and filled with shame, where where this lady would be ostracized and ignored and shunned in her community, where she would have to hide herself and not even want to be around because of what people might think or might say about her or even to her. That because of the power of the gospel, that, that what God does is God leverage those things. To say, This is who I was, is what she said, and this is what he told me. You've got to come hear who this man is and the power, the hope of the gospel. That the gospel saves sinners like her and like you and like me. And so, this morning, what we want to look at and what we want to do is, is God gives us new purpose. God gives us new purpose what we are to do, and who we are to be on a daily basis, all right? Now, here's what I want to kind of ask you guys, a little little quick poll, a little quick survey. By a show of hands, how many of you, I'm just going to ask that you kind of pause and leave them up there for a minute, all right? How many of you, in some way, shape, or form, had some New Year's resolution, New Year's goal that you set? Just just raise your hand. I'm in there. How many of us? All right, this, all of us who are glutton for punishments, right? All right, we had these. Now, leave your hands up, all right? Now, how many of you on January 9th are still going strong? Leave your hand up. I'm going to put my hand down. All right, yeah. We see hands dropping quick, right? All right, appreciate You all put your hands down. Now, all these other people who didn't put their hands up, they probably said something too, all right? But they didn't want to be ashamed of it when they had to say, we failed with this, all right? So I was there. I, I, I wrote in my phone. I'm, I'm weird because I didn't want to say that I broke a New Year's resolution, I'm not kidding y'all, I did this. I wrote my New Year's goals like that was gonna change anything, right? Like, mm-mm. I never fall through with resolutions, but goals, I can take care of that, right? Nope, not at all, right? We gotta recycle, Monday's a new day. We'll get going with it, right? So, But here, here's, here's what I learned about myself and about people when it comes to New Year's resolutions is we notice this aspect in our life. Let's just say, We want to exercise every day, right? That's mine. So I set the goal. I'm going to get up and I'm going to exercise every morning. Feel better about myself. Start off the day with a good sweat, feel a little bit better, and then attack the day. But here's what I didn't do. I didn't decide for myself that I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier so that I have the energy to wake up a little bit earlier in the morning. I didn't decide for myself that I'm going to drink a little less coffee and a lot more water during the day so that I'm fully hydrated through the course of that. I didn't set as a goal for myself that I'm gonna eliminate the golden arches that are there that draw me in, right, to double cheeseburger meals and Big Macs. I didn't acknowledge all of those areas and instead what I said is here's this one aspect of my life that I wanna correct and I wanna fix, but I'm gonna ignore everything else that's going on. Well, then when it came to this, I now I don't have the energy to do because I didn't go to bed any earlier. I don't have the hydration within my system and I can feel that when it comes to working out. So I say, no, not right now. And then when it does, I'm like, but I feel kind of bad because I got it supersized yesterday, right? And so it falls short. Like what in the world does this have to do with anything, all right? Here's, Here's my point. We do the exact same thing with the gospel, That what we do with the gospel oftentimes is is we say, I'm going to take what the Lord is doing, and I'm going to apply it to this area of my life, and I'm going to apply it to this area of my life, and I'm going to apply it to this area of my life. But there's all these other areas that are free in our mind from the effects of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And what we're going to look at this this morning in 2 Corinthians 5 is what begins to happen and take place, where we begin to find the purpose for what God has for us in this world when the gospel infiltrates and takes over and consumes every aspect of our life. Right. So let's start reading verse, verse 14. Paul writes and he says, For the love of Christ controls us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not recounting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation." Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew knew, no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in that passage of scripture, there's probably a couple of hot verses that as we read through it, you're like, oh yeah, that oh yeah, that, and make really good bumper stickers and t-shirts. But we see them so much more in the fullness of Scripture, of what Paul is writing for us. And so just three things that I want us to look at this morning, when, when the love of Christ, when the, when the gospel, when, when, it, when it comes to us, when God saves us, what that creates with us in every single aspect of our life. And so number one is this, the love of Christ calls us to die. The love of Christ calls us to die. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What what I want us to look at within our life in this moment is the call that you and I have daily and in Christ to die. And what we're going to see within this, and what I want to begin this is, is in the context of believers, because the attack on sin rests uniquely on us. The attack on our sin rests uniquely on believers. Paul begins by saying, for the love of Christ controls us. This audience that he is preaching to, the audience that he is writing to within this is in the context of believers. And so the standard of what we are gonna see here to die to sin goes to the church and it goes to all of the church. Every single one. That when you and I say that we are in Christ, there's not a removal from that in other aspects of our life. Now when we, we look at society, I can't, I'm not going to say that we can't mutually agree whether you're a believer or not, that there is this certain ethic that we abide by. And it's an interesting thing when you, when you move from culture to culture, you will find this agreed upon ethic, whether done by, by government or society, and, and it ranges, and I'm not saying that as individuals. As, that as residents of, of Lexington, of South Carolina, of the United States, that we can't agree on like a mutual ethic to, to ends of, of different degrees, right? From, from murder to jaywalking. But what I am saying is that there is a biblical command for us who identify with Christ, believe that we are called and saved by him uniquely on us to die to sin to die to sin and that's not the standard that we can carry to the world but it's the standard that we need to hold dearly here Paul writes in Galatians two I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So all of this of what is happening is because we have identified in Christ's crucifixion. We've identified in what he has done, and we acknowledge it's not I who longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so in salvation, we align, we we identify with the death of Christ. It's the very first picture of baptism. It's why we do what we do in baptism. That as the person who is saved comes into the water and sits down in the baptistry that we have, even though they are saved, the picture of what they are showing as they sit there is who they were before Christ. Christ. And as Christ was died to sin and put into a tomb, they die to themselves. And that's the picture of as they go down into the water. And it's the beautiful picture of what we see and what we experience. And so for us, what we begin to see in the crucifixion of Christ, what we agree with, what what stirs our hearts for him, is that while Christ died for our sins we are dying to our sins and that's the acknowledge of that Christ on the cross died for your sins and mine and the call that we have in the walking in the newness of life is to die to our sins so so what does that mean like, like, what does that look, look like in our life? How do we begin to say, all right, but how do I take that? How do I process that? How do I let that transform in my mind to, to, to go to every aspect of my life? And I read someone this week, and, and, and they summed this up in four, and I thought it was just beautiful with what they said. They said, number one, what does it mean to die to sin? As They said, sin no longer controls us. We wake up every single moment of every single day as a believer in Christ and say, these desires that I have in my heart that are sinful, these actions that I have done and that I may do again, those are not what controls me, but it is the spirit of God who lives in me. So it's no longer sin that controls me. It's waking up, realizing the victory we have, that we have identified with the death of Christ, that is no longer sin that's there. But then, secondly, with that, we seek to eliminate sins. We seek to eliminate sins. It's not just that sin no longer controls me, but it's actively looking at the sins that are in my life, and I'm seeking to eliminate them. And and here's where most of us, myself included, fall so many times short of this standard of eliminating sins. You eliminate a sin by killing it. And we don't look to kill sin. We look to manage it. We look to control it. We look to it excuse it. We look to pacify it. I've told this story once before and I'll tell it a a million times as long as the Lord gives me this opportunity because I feel like this is what this looks like in our life. I I was reading um, an article one time. I don't know how I got on this article, but I was reading this article about a a snake charmer that for years had been a, a snake charmer with these very poisonous cobras. And that he would charm these snakes and that he would go up and he would touch the head of these poisonous snakes and then eventually pick up the snakes and and handle these snakes. And then the article said that one day a snake bit him and he died. And I thought, yep, Mm mm-hmm, that's what they do, right? Right? Just a matter of time, bro, you were lucky for a long time, right? And and we would look at it and say, yep, that's what happens when you continually seek to touch the head of a snake. It's going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. This is what's going to happen. But here's the the truth about so many of us. That's what we do with sin. That's what we do with sin. I'm just going to get near it. I'm just going to touch it. I'm just going to excuse it. It's been years and it hasn't brought anything for me. But what the Bible says, we're to die to it. And we die to it by killing it. And we kill the sin that's there. Number, number three, how, how what does it mean to die to sin? It means we pursue the things of the Lord. We pursue the things of the Lord. So we stop looking at this world and saying, what does it have to offer me? But we wake up every morning with a renewed energy and passion for the Lord. What do you have for me today? Lord, what do you have before me? What are the relationships? What are the opportunities? What are the things that are there? And we're gonna pursue the things of the Lord. We're no longer gonna pursue the things that we want. We're no longer gonna pursue the things that the world leads us to. We're gonna pursue the things of God and to find those and to see and to wrestle with. And when decisions need to be made in our life, we ask God, God, is this what you have for me? Is this what you want for me? Is this what you desire for me? having a conversation with, with, with someone even just earlier today. And it was just a beautiful and wonderful, refreshing conversation. Because as we were talking, he said, you know, there's all of these opportunities that I find that are opening up for me right now. And within me, I kind of feel this longing to maybe take them. But I'm just stopping right now and asking the question, God, is this what you have for me? Is this what you desire for me? Is this what I'm to do? Right? We pursue the things of the Lord. So we understand that sin no longer controls us. We, we, we understand that we seek to eliminate sin. Number three, we pursue the things of the Lord. And, and then the fourth thing that we need to understand is this doesn't mean we are sinless. It doesn't mean we are sinless. And just really shortly and quickly, we understand that what covers us in this moment is no longer guilt or shame, but it's the grace of God. And that's what we begin to see and what we experience. And so the love of Christ calls us to die. But then the second point is that the love of Christ calls us to life, calls us to live. Verse 15 through 17. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ he's a new creation the old has passed away and behold the new has come so this is the second picture that we see of baptism right so when we baptize you go under the water but guess what we bring you up and out of it right They don't leave you underneath there. We don't hold you down for an extended period of time. You go under, you come back up, and the picture of coming out of the water for us is the new life that is found in Christ of what God has for you and what God is calling for you and what God is having for you to do. And so we see this. And so because we have died with Christ, we can overcome sin and bear fruit for God's glory. So now who I was is no longer who I am. And who I am now is to walk in the newness of the Lord. Romans 6, 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death for a reason. For a reason. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too can identify in the resurrection of Jesus and walk in the newness of life. Christ died our death for us so that we may live our life for him. He didn't leave us in the tomb. And that's why Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed. And the new has come. That's who we are in him. And as the body, we place this on one of the most beautiful words that is in this passage. Is the word anyone. Anyone. So if anyone dies in him, he is a new creation is what the scripture teaches us. So what does anyone mean? Anyone means anyone anyone and so we have to apply this to what we believe to what we practice to what we expect we talked about this in the message before christmas that god saves the unlikelies and uses them and in this room right now and standing on this stage is a group of unlikelies and that god saves us and doesn't just save us for what we've done but then saves us for what he has for us. And he uses them and he uses us for his glory, for his name, for his renown. And that in this life, it's a life of joy, excitement, meaning, purpose, all found and rested in him. But this passage of scripture covers not only who we are in Christ, but this passage covers also how we see the world in Christ. Look back at verse 16. From now on, therefore, regard no one, according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So here's what Paul's talking about. Paul writes to, to this church and he says, "Look, in, in salvation, we see Jesus differently. We, we, we see him as our Messiah and as our Savior and not simply a man. We understand his divinity and we see him in this. Now, if you were saved later in life, all right, or if you were saved from, from when, when, and when you were saved, like maybe you were in a different faith or different understanding of scripture, then you understand what Paul's talking about, Right? Now now, for, for some of us, let's say and there's nothing wrong with this, right? The, it's the beauty of what God does and the blessing that He's provided for, for my family and for my kids. if you're raised in church and, and the only understanding of Jesus that you've ever had and to your knowledge that you've ever believed is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then this is a little foreign to you, maybe this concept of what Paul is talking about. But for, for Paul, Jesus was a heretic before Paul was saved. For many of the people that he's talking to, this is, this is a foreign concept of, of this man, of who Jesus was. But he says, now that we've been saved, we see him differently. We no longer just see him by the flesh, but we see him differently as well. And now take that, and as you see others, see them differently as well. And so we see them as someone with a soul. Now, when we look at people, we've probably determined, or the world or the culture has determined to look at people and to see them primarily in different categories, right? We see them by their race. We see them by their political party. We see them by their gender. We see them by their socioeconomic standing. We see them by their uh, choices that they've made. But, But Paul comes in here and says, then we're to look at each other. We're to look at the world differently. And what we see is in the spiritual context. And we see that these are individuals with a soul. And now this is replaced with lost or saved because this is what this is gonna push us to in our life. That is, I look at the world that surrounds me as a follower of Christ. It's not that I don't look at and appreciate the beautiful diversity of the world, because I do. It's not that I can't sit down with someone who maybe has a different political party that they have and, and, and have the conversations that we have back and forth, because we do. We do. But it's saying that when I take the mind of the gospel and I look at that and I begin to apply that, that very quickly what becomes the driving force in my life is that every person that I interact with, every individual that I see, that I recognize that there's a soul that's there. And there's eternity that awaits. Either with Christ or not. That they're either saved or they're not. And so in light of the gospel, everything becomes secondary. Everything becomes secondary. And it's what drives us and pushes us to this last part, is that the love of Christ calls us to ministry. The love of Christ calls us to ministry. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when you got saved, whether it's 717 or 77, when you got saved, God didn't say, all right, cool, you're saved now, just come to church a little bit, all right? Maybe throw in some mission trips really kind of get your good quiet time, hit up a few small groups, see you in heaven, right? That's not what he did, right? What this tells us is that when God saved us from something, he calls us to something. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation, And this is what we see happening in salvation. First is that Christ reconciles us to himself. So let's talk a little bit about reconciliation. In a message that could take another hour, just really quickly, Christ reconciled us to himself by paying the price for our sins, and we are now united to him. So there's sin that separates us from the Lord. And through Christ's death on the cross, he takes opposing uh, forces and joins them together. And so that we are now reconciled to him, what did divide us now brings us together. But he didn't, when he reconciled us to himself, he also gives us this unique ministry only found for believers, the ministry of reconciliation. And so that you and I, we don't get a choice in the matter. There's not like nothing, I, I'm not volunteering for that. It's given to us, this ministry of reconciliation. And so Paul writes about this and he says, it's, it's work that believers have been given. And so this ministry, we, we show it, we model it, we fight for it, we fight for peace. And it's where we begin to understand the concept, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, what Jesus is gonna say in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who understand this message of reconciliation, that because of sin, man has been separated from God, but through the unique and only work of Jesus Christ, they can be reconciled to him. And peace can reign, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. But it's not only just the work that we do that we show that we model that we fight for but it's the message that proclaim it is the gospel and we proclaim it and a few years ago i had the opportunity to go to taiwan on a mission trip many of you know that there's even still some pictures out in the in the hallway of that and on our mission trip to taiwan we we had a 36 hour layover in hong kong kind of unique kind of cool. I've never been to Hong Kong before. Yep. I liked it. It was good. We enjoyed it. We were walking through the streets of Hong Kong and if you've ne- if you don't know much, if you've never been to Hong Kong, seen pictures of Hong Kong, think New York City. Skyscrapers everywhere. People everywhere. But what I think is cool about New York City as I've gone there is in the midst of the skyscrapers, in the midst of the businesses, in the midst of all that's going on, there's parks. So you can walk around in, in 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 downtown New York City in Manhattan. And, and we all know about, about Central Park, but, but there's so many other these smaller parks. And so we're we're walking around and um, going through Hong Kong on our on our way to go prayer walk at a, at a temple. And all of a sudden we see a, a guy who's, who's out there playing basketball by himself. And we were kind of intrigued, and one of the guys looked at us and said, when are we ever going to have the opportunity to play basketball in Hong Kong? And so we were like, let's do it. So we walked down there and began to play basketball with this guy. Fortunately, he spoke pretty good English. And so we played basketball for about 30 minutes with this guy. And at the end of it, he was kind of like, all right, so what are y'all doing here? He didn't say y'all, but you know. I'm translating, translating. He didn't say you guys either, right? And so we told him we were pastors that were on a missionary, uh, mission trip and what we had been doing. And he said, oh, I've heard a lot about Christianity. Thank you, Lord. And we said, well, do you have a set of beliefs? And he began to describe his beliefs. And he said, yeah, I've got some beliefs. He said, but what I've, what I've kind of done is Taken a list of a lot of beliefs. And I just kind of bring them in together. And what I've come to in my understanding is that I'm just gonna be a really good person. And then I feel like at the end of that, that God will reward me. And so we're sitting there on this basketball court in the middle of Hong Kong. And so, can I ask you a question? What does that mean to be a good person? And he said, I don't really know. Just be good. And I said, okay. I said, can I tell you what we believe? And he said, yeah. And I asked him, because the universal suffering that we all experienced of the question of brokenness. I said, do you believe in that? And he said, yeah, yeah, there's there's brokenness. We talked about sin and what sin was. And so we walked all the way back to the fall and the creation of what happened and said, you know, what What we believe in there is that Jesus came because I can't be good enough. No matter how many mission trips I take, no matter how many things that I do, no matter how good I am to my wife, how good I am to my kids, how good I am to everybody else that I'm gonna be around, how I try not to do bad things, think bad things, As long as there's one in me, there's one too many, and we all have that, except for this guy named Jesus. And told him who Jesus was and walked him all the way through and said, and in Christ and in Christ alone, we can be reconciled to God because of who he is and what he has done. He didn't believe. He didn't profess. We asked if we could pray with him. He said, yep. (laughs) And then we, like, bowed our heads and closed our eyes, you know, because that's what we do. And he said, could could we not do that? Yeah. Sure, why? He said, because people are watching. Cool. So we prayed. Eyes open, staring at each other, right? Right. Really uncomfortable for Southern Baptists to do that, but <laughs> we did it. God heard us, right? right? It's not just enough. Oh, hear me with this, church. It's not just enough to do it. We've been entrusted with a message, is what Paul says. And we've got to carry it. The God's, the, God's word said that we've been Entrusted with the message of the gospel. Now let me ask you something. What does it mean to entrust someone with something? Of all the things that you have, are they all of equal worth and equal value? No, it's not. There's a weird thing that I have at at our house. I've got a lot of shovels. I don't know why I have a lot of shovels. I've got a lot of shovels. Shovels at my house do a unique thing. They grow legs and walk away. They do that. So anytime there's like a deal on shovels, guess what? I'll take another shovel, I'll take another shovel. And if you wanna borrow a shovel, come to my house and I don't ever care if you give it back, all right? I know where Lowe's is, I can get more shovels, right? So come get A shovel. Now, the Lord has blessed me with two kids. Two kids. And if you want to come and get one of them, (laughs) this is a little different than the shovel, right? And for me to say, yes, they can go with you, I'm entrusting them with you. Because they are precious and they are valuable and more importantly and not in a way that is belittling to them but hear this they are mine and they are my wife's. The gospel isn't a story. The gospel isn't just a a good statement. The hope that we've been given with this is the God's word says that you and I have been entrusted with this. Now, let me back up a little bit. Here's what we said earlier. God didn't ask your permission to entrust you with this. Regardless of what you're doing with the gospel, you've been entrusted with it. Some of us are doing nothing with it. It does not mean that we have not been entrusted with it. When we have been reconciled to Christ, the Bible tells us we are given the ministry of reconciliation. And so there's a core of hypocrisy in the heart of us if we want to claim the benefit of salvation but not the work of it, right? And that's the purpose that we have. And that's the ministry that we're called to. It's not a ministry that we show up for an hour on Sunday morning. It's not a ministry that we check the box because we've done this quiet time with a group of coworkers. But it's the ministry that we've been given that the Bible says, that Paul writes and says here, we've been entrusted with it and we are now the ambassadors of Christ. That's who we are. And for an ambassador, it has filled every single aspect of their life. So, how does the gospel do that every single day for us? We die, we live, we go and proclaim, and live out, and model, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to reconcile all that is broken. All that is broken. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we thank you that all things are new. All things. And that in Christ we have new life, new hope, new meaning, new purpose. And it begins, Lord, in a relationship with you. Lord, I I pray that as we're here this morning, that in the hearts and the minds of of some who are here, Lord, that in this they would see their own brokenness. Lord, they would see that maybe even within their life, Lord, they desired the, the, the benefit of salvation without the ministry of it. And that's not, Lord, who you are, who you've called us to be, and what you've saved us to. And so, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, if that's the battle of the heart, Lord, that we could understand the simple power of the gospel. An individual to admit to themselves that they're a sinner, that what separates them from you is all of their sins. Or and they can't fix that. They can't control that. They can't manage that. And they need to be saved from it. Or that they believe that Jesus is the only one who can do that. They would believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He is our Savior, that he is our Messiah, that he is our Lord. And Lord, they would confess to you right now that Jesus is their Savior and Lord. They'd be reconciled to you. Right in this moment, they would die a spiritual death to gain a spiritual life. Life with you and you alone. Listen, Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to respond. We got prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium. If you're here this morning, maybe that was you. We'll talk about a relationship with the Lord. If you confess that in your prayer, what I want to encourage you to do right now is confess that to someone. Our prayer encouraged be great. I'll be right down here in front as well. Confess that to me. Maybe you're here this morning filled with struggles and with doubts. Feel loss of hope, loss of purpose. Need someone to pray with you. They would love to do that. Here's my heart. I want you to respond to the Lord as he leads you this morning. Would you stand as we worship him?